Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! On this episode of The Ready State, we are delighted to share the incredible conversation we had with Mark Verstegen. He is the founder and president of Exos and one of the world's foremost experts on human performance. You know, Mark has been in the game, and frankly, as a strength conditioning coach, performance coach, Mark is one of the guys who's been holding the door open for us forever. And I will just say, as a personal matter, I remember being a young 20-something and looking at Outside Magazine and seeing Mark on the cover and being thinking to myself, this is what I want to do. So to be have him in our gym... Chatting it up about human function and kids was a dream. And in addition to being one of the world's thought leaders on human performance, he is also one of the nicest guys and such a hard worker. We were lucky enough to get to record this episode live at San Francisco CrossFit. And uh, he was so kind as to take out our recycling while we were waiting to record <laughs> no, our episode. <laughs> he is the truth, man. Um, I tell you what, one of, the, one of the really interesting things about if you sit, get to sit down and, and pick Mark's brain is that Mark literally has coached the German national soccer team. He, uh, they, do, they work in a lot of military units. They do work in population health and uh, like places like Google and Facebook that we do the strength conditioning there and the training and fitness. But what you'll see is that it comes back to first principles and his ability to see sort of the force for the trees and what are the salient and important features that takes this high performance model, sort of Formula One, and takes those concepts back to the rest of us. That's what makes this conversation really important. And the fact that he's been coaching kids for decades. Enjoy our conversation with Mark. Crew, welcome back to The Ready State. Uh, just a reminder, we are f we're recording right now live in an actual gym environment. Technically, we're in the kitchen. <laughs> Mark uh, is slumming it in the kitchen. He's next to the dishwasher. But it, it's it's not that different from where you started. No, I love it. In the re reclaimed men's locker room. Was it the men's locker room? Oh, yeah. That was, that was phase two. The first was the condemned Staples Office Supply Center. <laughs> it's hard to get a grip in there, but you could do it. Where was your first pull-up bar? Um, that particular one was probably the phase two. We took an Olympic bar across uh, two lockers in front of the emergency exit. So you had to bend your knees, but it all worked. The mirrors are beautiful, though. You guys the four have obviously had some like, pre-conversation here because you went already deep into oh, yeah. some story that I don't know. So uh, give yeah, me but, the backstory on the, the staples. Well, yeah, from an EXO standpoint, um, people always see these world-class facilities and all this stuff, and they think, like, that's where we started and that's what we need, and we need none of that. We didn't start from it. Um, originally, a, a cold plunge was a Mickey Mouse kiddie pool. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you had to get Mickey Mouse. You'd go to Walmart, and it was twenty-two bucks, and they'd last for probably two point two weeks. And you had to get Mickey Mouse because you could double your capacity and put one big butt in one and one big butt in the other, and then throw it in front of the ice machine. You could get two people in at the same time. So that was kind of the thing. And then the, one of the places when Amy and I decided to move out to Arizona to start what's now Exos, um, we were in a s condemned Staples office supply building in which we threw balls against the wall that had a little bit of plywood, and then you'd miss the plywood and go right through the drywall. <laughs> um, one of my, uh, our great people uh, that we've had the honor to be part of our team, who's now uh, Luke Richardson, who's with the Texas, um, the Texans, he would start mopping this 20,000 square feet of concrete floor that could never get clean. So once you started, you'd just come back and you'd slide. It's like painting the Golden the Gate Bridge. Oh, it's painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. No, it was, uh, yeah, raw times. But part of it was our next real step up in facility that Arizona State provided us was uh, the visiting locker room. 
Uh, so it was for the Cardinals and for the ASU visiting team. Um, Scorpions came up through the showers. Um, As one does. it was dry. It was done. We set up our uh, mirrors on four by eight sheets of plywood and then zip tied them to the lockers. And then we put squat press stands in front of them. And then our pull-up bar was literally, there was an emergency exit door, but there's lockers on each side. So we just take one of the Olympic bars, throw it up on top when we had to do pull-ups. And we do pull-ups and we take it back down, put it in the squat press stand. So it's like stuff like that that we, is really where we started. And so we, there's a reason that all our places look like garages. Well, nice garage. We can relate to that. I'm sure you've heard the mm-hmm. legend of our parking lot gym where mm-hmm. Kelly, you know, welded our first pull up rack to some military grade piping we found just laying there on the ground. So, hey, I, and I love that. To me, people love to talk about innovation. I love to talk about ingenuity. <laughs> yes, <laughs> when you're ingenuity. Broke, it's yes. great, right? And, you know, our high school way back, like in the uh, 70s, uh, early 80s, my dad was a high school principal. My best friend's dad was the athletic director, and we believed in performance training. Like we were doing plyos way back then as a high school. We were doing everything you can imagine, but they would buy one piece of equipment. It wouldn't go directly to this little tiny sweat box of a of what's now weight room. They'd take it over to metal shop and they'd fab three or four more of them and they'd bring them in. And that stuff still is there today in 2018, which is probably something I should do about, but I just love it. I don't want to change it. You can't. No, no you can't change it. No, that, that really, that sets this framework because I was just telling, uh, recounting with one of my friends, it was, it wasn't that long ago that there was not a lot of information easily available. Oh, Maybe no. you met a, you had a master coach or you came through a program or you had an Olympic lifting coach. Right. If you happen to like live in a place where someone like Mark was working with people. Or, but, right. Yeah. The rest of the time though, it's just like you just did what your coach did, what his sure. coach did what their, you know, we, um, I knew somehow that like plyos were important. Right. And I uh, got a, a book online from Donald Chu. It was his oh, Donald good. Chu's yeah. plyo book. And it was a little small, like, looks like a postcard book. And it was just stick figures. Perfect. And different shapes of throwing a ball. No direction of how heavy the ball should be. No rep schemes. No. So Shane and I, my, my C2 partner, we got the book. We got it like a 16-mile medicine ball, which is obviously way too heavy. That's perfect. And we started at the beginning, <laughs> and we worked our way to the end. And then we, after we did, kind of got tired, we'd go on the next exercise. We did all the exercises in the book and then didn't paddle for like seven days. There you go. Because we pretty much had evulsed all of the obliques off of all the musculature. Oh, sure. Shock we, training. We were so, <laughs> and Shane got so mad at me because... You know, he's like, "What? We, we, you just ruined our week of paddling." And I was like, "But, but plyos are good for us." Yeah, so plyos are good for you. Yeah. It's difficult for us to sort of imagine today when coach kids IMG academies and sure. and the level of, of precision. You have been coaching youth, either at a, at a college level now or actually high schoolers and middle schoolers coming into yeah. the big programs. What has changed in the last twenty years yeah, in terms of kids? What trends are you seeing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you bring up a, a great one. Um, always passionate about it. I did start off, uh, you know, in Squim, hometown, working with middle school and high school kids. But uh, ultimately, uh, after Washington State and Idaho, uh, went to Georgia Tech and then had this crazy idea to start this space outside of the collegiate professional ranks. So what is now IMG Academies was where I ultimately created the first International Performance Institute, a 1,200-square-foot um, room which Nick Bolletieri had all his hammer strength stuff in, which was all face toward the mirror and to his arm length so that when he finished his rep of chest press, it was one inch away. <laughs> so he could see it, listen to Barry White is great. But so, you know, through that process and then being the sports science hub, I use that as a fancy term because it was 1,200 square feet. I cut my finger off trying to make like a pole sled. 
you know, we ended up being the sports science hub for Baltary Tennis and Ledbetter Golf and Adidas Soccer Academy and Rawlings Baseball Academy. You can kind of go on. And it sounded really fancy, but, um, you know, we'd both take care of the academy kids from 8 to 18. And in the summers, we'd see 750 kids before 1.30 in the afternoon, and we literally mowed down a grass field, like a hay straw field, like six weeks before to try to make it useful. And I think what you start to notice is in the last 20 years, kids have become less active. And we've kind of gone two ways, I think, on a global perspective. Um, globally, like last time we were all together, we were in Munich, right? There's yes. sport, it means more like sport health and activity and that in the US, sport means competition. And I think what we've done is we've created a group of kids who now goes immediately to specialization, picking a sport and trying to be the next prodigy. And that's a whole separate thing to talk about. And they become way less active. And those two things are going in opposite directions. and is a greater chasm for injury, poor experiences, and kind of starting them off poorly in life. And that's not what, quote unquote, sport should be about. You see, uh, you, you, one of some, you guys, I mean, how many, if we took the, the combine, for example, as a fancy metric, you, you put a lot of people into the <laughs> NFL, right? You, yeah. you train a lot of young sure. kids out of college. One of the, I think the, the jewels in your crown right now is still German national soccer team. Sure. How we were really good this year. <laughs> how of culture. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. So how do so if we take Europe, for example, you see the academy programs in, in sure. Germany. What do we need to do differently? Because I try to point out that you get to see different cultures training at the highest levels, mm -hmm. and you get to see this really interesting continuum because you, you if I come to your program at your facility, I see high school kids working out. Absolutely. There. So where can we begin to make improvements so that we see a culture change like that we do like in Europe. And I'm not saying they have it perfectly dialed no, there, no. but it's a different system. No, it is. And, and in Europe, I think it's, it is different. I mean, Germany is very a German system. And if you look at that, it gets to a sports specific standpoint, but it's also part of the culture of football. But I can tell you in those developmental, there's 23,000 youth teams in Germany with what, 15 kids per. And it's just a different thing than realize you're not all going to make it, but they look at that also as a lifespan sport. And 80% of the funding for the German national team goes to the population and youth playing. It's not well, all for the... 80% of the funding goes to the people, programs. Not just to the elite. It goes to the people, and that's a very important thing um, you know, for Germany. And I think as we continue to look at things here in the States, we need to just get back to physical literacy. You know, I think you guys say it more than anything, all the way from stand-up. Right. And what we're doing throughout the day and thinking about really just creating healthy individuals where sport can mean something more than competition. Sport should mean this is just part of my daily activity, part of my daily life. And they should be excited about that. You know, and, and I love everything that you guys have done from stand up and walking the kids to school and like just making activity part of what they need to do on a daily basis. But with that, um, you know, going back to the earlier question, movement quality and movement literacy, like across the ABCs when they're young, the agility, balance, coordination, speed, like those, that type of software upgrading, like those are all the pieces we miss. And when you miss it, like you're not getting it back. You can work hard at it when you're 18 or above, but you're not gonna get it back. You'll get better, but you're not gonna get it back. I wanted to ask you about your four pillars program you developed, mm. what they are and why they're so important. Yeah, I like to do simple things savagely well. And when you truly uh, study sustainable high performance and you developed a lot of kids and all the way to just 
big kids that are in amazing genetic freak bodies or, you know, those that are bigger kids that play with more lethal toys. Um, you truly, like our whole thing's always been about first seeking to understand and upgrading lives. And when you start to get through that formula, then you realize that in order to create a individualized game plan or any type of game plan, it needs to include four raw ingredients or it's going to fail. And that's going to be number one, foremost is above the neck mindset. That's like, that's got to be like all of the approach. We have to then think about how we fuel forts and nutrition, movement and recovery. And they aren't four uh, independent pillars, vertical pillars. These are four strands of our DNA. And the great part about where I'm really excited about where science is coming now is the people starting to understand the interrelatedness between all these elements, right? Between cognition and nutrition and cognition and movement and cognition and recovery, right? Every one of those, everybody listening just unpacked all those types of things. And I, that's the power of doing the simple things really well. And, you know, from that, we then try to create something around providing the finest performance systems, specialist and platform seamlessly integrated to efficiently and ethically enhance our clients' performance, all of them. And not just the superstar, like everyone getting treated the same. And I think that's kind of where we've ultimated up through sport, from youth all the way to the most elite, to what we're doing within, you know, military, and then ultimately now probably the largest part is population health through yeah, our the most important part. Yeah, corporate and uh, community centers that we do, which you know we're touching over a million lives there. Tell us what you're doing in the the population health department. Well, I mean, I think we look at it in different ways. Like if I just look here, we're in the Bay Area, and we've got crazy great sites from San Mateo uh, Community College, which has world-class, you know, health and fitness center that's community-facing, and it's how they have their outreach to, you know, uh, the JCCs, the uh, San Francisco JCC to the Palo Alto JCC, and you're talking like literally cradle-to-grave experiences and programming across all that around this kind of mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery. And how do we start to bring that type of support where we talk about the world-class athletes that we're all familiar with or military operators, they have seven to 15 support staff. All the rest of us sitting around this table, right, and we're a unique situation, but everybody listening, like we're probably supporting seven to 15 people. And that's, we have to do that, and we haven't even talked about the professional life. And I think that's where the, really this kind of, you know, implementation around there, we're dealing with professionals inside the corporations, and they're, they're professionals at what they do. And, so when we start talking about professional what they do, they have a professional job, but they also have to go care for the family. And yeah. that's a whole different thing. And usually what we find and probably the most powerful thing that we focus on is caring for the caregiver. And when your parents and your parent who's also professional and you're caring up sometimes for your parents, you're caring down for your kids or your significant other across, then all of a sudden you start to talk about really needing some support. And so you know, where do they go? And caregivers put themselves last on the care continuum because that would be a selfish thing to do. And unless we start to prioritize those things, they can't do it. And that's even in, we talk about the healthcare sector and we go through and do our performance quotient um, through our journey platform on the healthcare sector. They're the least healthy populations of people, even though they quote unquote know better than need to go from knowing from doing because they can't care for others unless and it's a really tough dynamic because, again, it's all above the neck and the behaviors. Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt, but there, the, this is a common theme in this whole season is that we, we seem to have reached a point where people know. Yeah. But now we have to help people do. Knowing right? from There's doing. This, yeah. It's, it's a the, big chasm. Yes. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate the, this interconnectedness. You know, 
it's almost like you've been using sport as a laboratory mm-hmm. for the last 20 plus Greatest years. Greatest R&D platform ever. It is. Yeah. I try to tell people like, look, we can stress test poor positioning. Like, sure. yeah, you can do that. You can do at low loads and low speeds. You can get away with this movement pattern or this, sure. this sleep behavior or this eating strategy for a long time. Yep. But when we, Put that into high performance it accelerates it's mm. like that ikea machine that tests the the cushions yep. right and you guys have are you doing seen that machine yes i'm okay, obsessed with cool. it all right yeah. uh you guys have done that but now are saying hey here's what we've learned mm-hmm. you've got to sleep you've got to eat food yep. you've got to also have a plan yep. and are saying hey the like eo wilson says the highest levels of the the greatest goal of science is to apply science to the humanities yes that's what you guys Beautifully are doing. put. I mean, you, and so if if we're not doing that, where are we making? Where are the biggest holes in kids' development? Yeah. Well, and I, I think let's. You're go, talking to a lot of parents right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first thing you have to talk about with kids is you know they're you can get real structural around it and saying there's different chapters. There's kind of this fun, you know, based on Istvan Bali's model, fun dementals from like you know six or eight to twelve or thirteen, depending upon chronological and um, biological age, if you look at it that way. Then you have kind of this learn, formalized training to train. Training to compete would be the next phase, and then training to win. But when I go back, I'm like at a whole different thing. I would say, like, kids, there's such a diversity among kids. 12-year-old girls are not 12-year-old girls. There's a really large spectrum, and that's one of the things at the academies I really realized, right? Whether it's Anna Kornikova or Maria Sharapova, or the, you had all these kids, and you would see they're all 12-year-old tennis player at this or they're all this level of soccer player so i think number one is just still gets into personalization and seeking to understand like what's the personality of the kids you know where are they at from their maturity level and you know what do they want to do and i think probably the biggest thing we have to do at all ages but especially with kids is engage them you know that's the number one thing and engage them and make sure that it's fun and that they enjoy doing that and whatever you need to do to, to do that and i think you know we can talk about that as being parents or we can talk about it in the programs that uh, you put them in, but it needs to be fun. They need to learn something, right? And I think that's a big thing. And they need to learn how to start to kind of physically exert. But I think right now, one of the things that really plagues us when we look at sport and usually competitive sport is it's, I talk about safety. And sometimes people are like, oh, you mean like in movement patterns or don't have my kids do these things or don't, no, I'm talking like safety. Like does the kid feel safe? And I would say right now that in the majority of environments, um, we can look at uh, governing bodies and all the toxicity that's happening around how these kids are manipulated and using that relationship from coach to um, athlete and the control mechanisms put in and all the sexual abuse component, like that's not a safe place. That's a toxic culture and I wouldn't want to put anyone in that. But I also think then it does get into the safety of the programming that they're going to do as well, right? Like in, in making sure that they're able to achieve and then challenge and doing the simple things really, really well and teaching clean movement, but you're not going to get there day one. So let's just get them in the right stuff. They feel safe. They're in a good environment because I am passionate that coaches and teachers, sometimes through church, also can be a really toxic culture. But those are also like three of the greatest areas where we can truly influence and set a course for someone's life Probably a lot of people listening, and I know the people at this table, we were all influenced probably by that person outside our parents and were raised by a community. Let's have a safe community and a positive community to make sure we can shape at the most influential times. 
Is Exos just a secret training ground for coaches? It has nothing to do with. <laughs> is this is this how you ultimately take over the planet? No, I, you know, listen. And part of that though is that's part of the DNA of the environment. When I walked in the doors here, that's what you feel, right? It's about a great community of people. You guys often talk about the right tribe, and you know, when we raise, when kids are uh, dropped into this beautiful community or this beautiful tribe, like sometimes it's not the formal things that they get the most out of it. It's the informal things and the interactions, like they're always watching, they're always learning, right? And I think that's the greatest thing about the environments you put them in. You know, I love what you said about the phased approach, you know, just having a 13-year-old daughter now and having mm. witnessed her be sort of uh, hurled into overly competitive sports sure. too young. Yeah. I just, you know, I just love the the thought that's like almost under 13, like the whole point of it is fun. Like that yeah. needs to be the point. There's no other point. Yep. It needs to be fun, teamwork, camaraderie, all yeah. those things, you know. And ha it seems like we have so many youth coaches who are either volunteers or don't have a ton of training. Me. What would your advice to them be for, you know, especially the young subset of kids? You know, like what's what's the coaching approach there? How should they manage <laughs> so a young awesome. team? Yeah, I mean, number one is like, and this is where I think, Kelly, to your earlier point, where we do miss as, um, at least in the USA, we have people who are already busy, they're already probably caring for the family, and they're volunteering to help, like, your kids and help this community of kids. It's awesome. And at the same time, they have zero support. They have zero support on, like, hey, what is the most optimal thing I should do with this 10 to 12-year-old age segment in soccer that's female or mixed or... Like that's what we need to actually provide in our country. And it needs to be free and open source and actionable that they can have some recipes like you were talking about earlier to have success. And you can't, I, you can't coach kids in Canada in hockey unless you are certified to coach kids in Canada by the Canadian government. Yes. Like they're like, this is so serious that you're, that we have a program yeah. to support you so that you don't mess up these kids. And I, we in the U.S. ruin more people to sport and healthy life than we do create them. Absolutely. And it gets it, um, you know, a few levels like the how parents often treat their kids and wanting them to be the star at age nine or 10 and the playing time and the cussing and the, all the stuff that comes from the stands. Like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, if the number one thing we want to do is provide the healthy environment for the safe. kids safe. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it should be um, one of those things where it should be diverse. Those fundamentals should be like as many different agility, balance, coordination, speed type things and every different experience to open the doors and open the eyes and the hearts of what kids get passionate about. And just like, wow, these are all really cool, fun things. And they might be really good at something, right? You can get a whole different topic as we talk about talent ID, but it's like, that's cool. And as parents to create the structure that, hey, listen, we do activity of some type every day. And sometimes you're going to be in soccer with your friends and sometimes you're just gonna go out for a bike ride or we're gonna do something as a family. Like that all needs to be in there, but the fundamentals, community. Some people will go because they're highly social and that's yeah. why they wanna go. They it could be care less about sport, but this is the social stuff I like to do. And then they kind of find out, oh, there's a shared purpose and I wanna do this, right? Because I wanna make sure that, oh, Julia, I don't wanna let her down. And you start to develop these things of what sport should really be about and even team sport. But you also get like to your guys' individual sport, there's still a team element, but you have to, you know, play your role. And I think that's just a great thing for kids to learn at a really early age, as long as it's in a, a safe thing, like diversity, diversity of all these great things. And this needs to be a part of my life. It's fun. And ultimately, if you get them in flow, whoop, whoop, you know, they'll want to get more of that forever. I think I was that kid in my early sporting life. I mean, I don't think there was any sport that I really fell in love with at all. No. I just like wanted to be part of it. 
you know, I wanted the community and the friends and the like being part of something bigger or whatever it was. I don't think, I, you know, not until I found rowing in high school did I really like fall in love with the sport in particular. But Spot up on. until that point, it was just like, oh, I want to be part of a thing. Well, you know what that in the research, actually, they just uh, and I'm trying to think uh, who published it. But I think they said that in a really broad research study that 80 percent of the people that were participating in youth and youth sport weren't doing it for the sport at all. They were doing it for the social, fun, community aspect of it until we just suck that yeah. right out of it, right? And I'll say, you know, and that's, that's a challenge. And if we did that, we'd engage more people, and it would just be a healthier society. So you, um, I just want to reframe yeah. this. Things we've been talking about with you, like safe places for kids. And, and like, if, you, if I parachute in and look at your work, oh yeah, you are, like, on the pointy end of the stick on a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And here we are talking about, hey, what are you going to grip the handle with? I mean, mm -hmm. really, it's... Um, one of the things that Juliet always breaks my balls about is I love going to Exos. <laughs> She's like, it's like your little fan club. Like yeah. you, like you love to go there and uh, it's where you hang out. It's your, it's like your clubhouse. And I, one of the reasons I love being in your shop is that I feel so cared for. Mm -hmm. I feel every, there's this, this stoke vibe there mm -hmm. and it, it's all integrated. I don't have to go anywhere to feel like a complete human. And there's always someone up for working out, competing, playing, frisbee golf like whatever it is yep. and that i feel like how do we replicate that mm -hmm. well that's what schools and clubs and mm -hmm. you know that's that should all be for playground should be for yet we don't go find a whole lot of playgrounds so you uh mentioned the term talent id and i'm gonna go out on a limb <laughs> and suggest that this is also the word kelly uses um well the word he uses for it is a unicorn yes and that when you see a unicorn you know it yeah then it's pretty obvious, pretty young. And is that what, what do you mean by talent ID? And just tell me a little bit more yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, that. this is a whole science that I probably won't do justice to because I know some of the best people in the world that do this. And often what happens is you get a talent ID about 12 years before a country hosts an Olympics. They import a whole lot of talent ID experts so that they can help get the right talent ID to get the right kids divided out into the right like developmental structures in the national governing bodies so that 12 14 years from now, they can have success at the Olympics. And then the day after the Olympics, all those people they imported get <laughs> exported. They shut down all funding. And get, you know what happens? I have Australia never to heard about this before. Oh, yeah, totally. This is crazy. Oh, yeah. No, this is farming. Um, and so really what, like, talent ideas, ideas, and listen, this affects sport. Um, it's absolutely at the forefront of what the military is thinking right now and how they're looking at talent identification to fill roles. And it isn't just around the physicality, but essentially it's like this. Like, does that... Um, you take a large population of people, kids, and you expose them to a lot of different elements. And you can do it in formalized testing like we probably used to do in the day, right, with our yeah. president's physical flexed fitness. Flexed arm hang. <laughs> right? You guys should have been doing pull-ups. Uh, thank you. I think the flexed arm hang was harder. Yeah, it's right? hard. Totally hard. You to bike your legs right. to stay out there. Just bite on that no, bar. Hang on a second. We're, we're going to jump back in here. But this, this morning, I put flexed arm hang into isometrics. For my athletes in my general fitness class, I had a woman whose mechanics were so efficient. She had very little arm musculature, and her Perfect. arm position 
was so mechanically strange that I had never seen before that she could hang with a flexed arm as effectively as hanging from her arms That's over her awesome. head. That's awesome. And she it's a like, unicorn. She's like, is this, supposed to, be unicorn. Unicorn. Is this supposed to be easy? And I was like, turn your hands around. And then she fell. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, great. But I, yeah. I think you're right. I don't know. This woman broke my mind because yeah. I almost with you. I was like, pull-ups are harder than, are easier than a flexed arm. Thing. For sure. Sorry, that was just on my mind. No, and, that, and essentially what they get with talent ideas, you're like, hey, listen, this person has more of an endurance aptitude. This is, has an endurance aptitude with upper body things. Boy, should I put Juliet in rowing? And if I go see somebody who's good in rowing, boy, they'd make a great, you know, paddler. Like you just, right, it's talent identification. And some kids wouldn't, you know, make it as far. And that's kind of where you would sort, right? And that's where you go to Eastern Block. That would happen a lot. And, you know, that's what parents sometimes are looking for is where's my kid going to be great? And... I still think it's a miss. It's great, and you can trend people that way, but if you also expose people to a lot of different activities and sports, they're going to kind of say, hey, I, I do like that. There's something about it Juliet, that hits you and said, hey, I kind of like that more, and I'm pretty good at it. And if I'm pretty good at it, that gives me a little bit of confidence, and that confidence turns to courage, and all of a sudden you want to go take on the world. And if we shape that right, then that can be a superpower for you regardless of where you set your mind. You want to go be a lawyer or do something fun like that. So those are fun. Highly correlated. But I do think it's about also creating the open versus fixed mindedness um, of the kids at that age, regardless of who and how we engage with them. Um, again, starting above the shoulders, how we create that that approach. And that has a lot to do with who's coaching goes back to the youth coaches. Um, I would say if if you have a are a youth coach and you're volunteering, regardless of the technical, tactical drills you do, you should do some of your mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery as part of every lesson plan. Nobody knows better that they should work on their mobility and stability for the first 10 minutes. How you warm up, go, go get your good information. First 10 minutes, five or six times a week, and most people are going 48 weeks out of the year and maybe they take a month off. That's two straight days of training. What you just do with those kids for the first 10 minutes will totally change their health, will totally change their right mobility, stability, getting rid of the asymmetries. They're going to have clean movement patterns. Like Then they're just going to be set. But secondly is how you coach them. Don't take the unicorn and look at that unicorn and say, man, you are the greatest prodigy or you are the <laughs> coolest unicorn I've ever seen because you just ruined that unicorn. That horn is going to go from rainbow colors and it's just going to fade away to gray. And if we were to look at them and say, man, I love this open growth mindset by Carolyn Dweck, right? Like, I absolutely love the way you focus during practice, or I absolutely love the fact that when you leave practice, you always tell me the two things you did well and the one thing that you want to work on, or how well you slept the night before, or how well you ate. Like, that's what I love. And you start talking about that open-minded, growth-minded, what they're doing in process attainment, they will be achievers forever. They will be a stallion, superstar, he or she unicorn forever, regardless of where they point their horn. No wonder I'm successful because Juliet never tells me what I do good. She's always like, hey. God, "Shut up, man!" Next you're gonna so be like revisionist a, history a going on over here. Bathrobe or Love. something. Okay, so I want to talk about my favorite subject, yeah. which is nutrition. Yeah, and um, I know you know a ton about this subject, and I think what would be great for our listeners is sort of your perspective, in particular, around practice and competition nutrition. So, like pre, during, post or you know, anything related to actually training what your nutrition thoughts are and for kids. Absolutely, yeah. and let me just frame this, that if you go to an Exos facility, so the headquarters is there in Phoenix, you have an incredible chef 
yep. who makes whole food. Oh, so yeah. it doesn't look, it looks like food. Yeah. Because it's food. It is food. Except there's this, like this cookie nut ball thing, which <clears throat> gummies are. Protein bites, actually. Comma. <laughs> there's also a recovery drink mm-hmm. area. Let's, let's 30, 20 meters from the squat stand. Yep. Right? 60 feet. So I just want to frame that, that it's such an important integral mm-hmm. part that it takes up a huge piece of your budget and a huge piece of your real estate. Absolutely. Okay. So now. Intentional how you, design. How did you get there? Yeah, so like in two summaries to that would be on like a nutritional philosophy, the most basic one is eat a rainbow often, since we're talking about rainbow horn-colored unicorns. Eat a rainbow often, and the less legs, the better. And it just essentially gets to like if we're going to eat a rainbow often, then we want to make sure we have a lot of vegetables, few fruits, high color, high fiber from the source, and ideally, you know, it's a good source. And that's where I think in some countries like Germany specifically, like, man, like all the way down to the eggs are rated. So, and then I think when we talk about the less legs, the better, um, fish better than chicken, better than, right, you continue the other white meat, like pork um, into beef. And I think the only thing that starts to change there is like all of us, if you have, you know, uh, beef that's out roaming around and chewing on this beautiful thing, like the cows around Calgary as I drive up there, or, you know, around the homelands, happy cows, like, if they're moving, their their fatty acid profile is very similar to wild salmon. And so I think it's also about the, we have to get back on the discussion around the quality of what we eat, but too much of that gets blown out into the latest fad. I think, you know, after that is we talk about the latest fads, don't get on a fad, right? At the end of the day, we want to have high fiber, high nutrient density, want to make sure we have healthy protein. Ideally, you can get that through animal sources or non-animal sources and beans and lentils, those types of things. And it should probably happen multiple times per day, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner to get structured, especially kids, to get them used to that ritual. And one of the greatest things you can do to upgrade school performance uh, is make sure they have breakfast, good breakfast. And it can be light and easy. You can prep it for the week, but like that's just part of what we do. Now, Julia, to get to the like the, you know, framing around what you do pre and post exercise, I always kind of think about like what we just summarized it. There's a first thing that breakfast when you have in the morning, it's the last thing before you go to bed. And then you get this around workout pre thing during post thing. And that pre thing, that pre workout shooter is everything. And essentially it's like putting a little gas in your carburetor, just help things fire. That's going to get into your bloodstream quicker. And that's where you can have, um, you know, we'll use a lot of times the on it strength. And that's just a pre-workout shooter that might have beta alanine. If you're going to have some of the creatine components of it, you're going to start to go through just that little amino acid shooter. And you want to probably get at least 2.3 grams of leucine isoleucine in that with that pre-workout shooter. But it can also be a scoop of whey protein, you know, mixed up with a bit of juice and hit it. Like, it can be easy. And if I was a parent, it could be an orange slice, you're saying. Yeah, well, yeah. And I think, you know, if you get a little protein in with it, it'd be awesome. But they need to have a snack before they go play. Snack's going to be a little bit of energy before they go and try to get a little. Not a meal. You're just talking about like just a snack. snack. Just something. Whole just get snack. it going. Otherwise, you're going to run out of energy and you're not going to be able to have a work capacity. And some people that think they're working really hard but aren't fueled is like, yeah, I drive my car really fast, but it's not going anywhere. No. And but probably you know the e-brake on yeah solid e-brake <laughs> not the kind that make you drift and spin because those are really cool yeah and especially don't have when those you get anymore. the no sadly for Kelly yes but maybe we can find some of the big Sorry, wheels I digress on e-brakes no, that's all right here the Bay Area down these hills grab the e-brake on a on a big wheel what could go wrong oh lots it's great but the immediately after within ten minutes after they're done working out they need to have fuel and Kelly you mentioned like our youth programs and we start off. 
they'll get dropped off by the parents. They go into the gates out on this turf field and they start with their prehab. They get mini bands out there, pillar strength components of it. They go right into Just the fundamentals. mobility. You do Absolutely. fundamentals of body prep. Right next to the mobility. Then they're going to get their um, speed work, the mo movement quality, linear, multi-directional type speed. And it's going to be super great quality. They're going to go to some power development. Might be throwing you know, their med balls against the wall and all the different steam we do and some low-level you know, unilateral type plyos and agility, balance, coordination, speed. And then they're going to go in and get some resistance training. And that whole thing goes around what you guys are passionate about is get them, can they get in the right positions? Once they can get in the right positions, can we just pattern that, like write the software time and groove it and groove it and get the right patterns? And then after that, that's not enough, right? This is where I love what you've done also with physical therapy is you can pattern it great, but then ultimately it needs that power. And that power ultimately is our buffer and allows them to have success at whatever they choose from endurance sports to high-speed power sports. Power is the underlying element relative power to their success. After that, they're gonna finish with maybe some type of work, work capacity circuit, and then they're gonna post-workout nutrition. And they're gonna get that shooter. And Kelly, when you talk about like we have a building in our environments, you try to set up as work plus rest equals success. The plus symbol on that equation, we literally have part of the building that has a work sign over it. There's part of the building that has a rest sign over it. And the plus where those two things come together is where you'll always find our shake bar. Because they're gonna walk in, they're gonna pre-workout shooter, they're going to come back out. They're going to have post-workout. And if that is a parent, grab a, you know, something that they can have, a Greek yogurt, or in our case, they'll grab like a, a shake pack and give them a little shaker bottle or a ready-to-drink and some type of fruit, and they just grab that and they work out. That is one big loop of their experience in an hour. So this is clearly, if you're listening to this, you're like, wow, I'm going to have to tear down my no living way. room. And no. What I want you to hear underneath this is you have removed the barriers to adherence that the so you've made it closer so that people don't have to think. So if you want your kid to have a snack before they train, pack them a snack. Done. Right? Make it part of the conversation. If you want your kids to, you know, have have a something to eat right after training cuz especially I mean our kids are going to 90 minute water polo sessions. They're oh, legit. Brutal. I mean <laughs> we literally do it and are like, "Ooh, I don't yeah, know we, we can that's going to make them do tired. that. We no, can't do that." No, no. So, you know, Making Especially it, not with a scissor kick it, style. Nodding it, no. Having to go home with and the water make bottle holding overhead. Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> sorry, yeah, we're just right. like no, having sorry. Sorry, yeah. So, but what I hear is, you know, as a parent, I can set my kids up for success by just making sure that they're doing the right things and not putting another step in between us and what. Removing friction and it's experiential design, right? And we can geek out about that with like our corporate clients and we embed inside some of the greatest brands in the world with our performance innovation team. The experiential design happens at every one of our households. Think about, you know, growing up like good or bad. And if you just take a little bit to think about how they flow from what happens when they first wake up, same with how we pattern mindset, like giving the gratitude and how they're going to set intent for the day. Like that's what you should do when you're waking them up in the morning and just asking those two things. And then from that, yeah, they should get some hydration and if they could do a little movement or something like that. And then they're going to go have breakfast and they're going to be out the door. And that messaging is like that's part of the sandwich and then sandwich the back half of it or what they do when they get home, like you do with homework. And then they're going to brush their teeth and floss their feet, you know, all that stuff. Like it's just getting in that pattern, I think, is the most important thing because ultimately those rituals turn into habits and habits are what run 90% of our daily decisions that run in our non-conscious. So we've got to upgrade the software through this daily experience. And if we do that, that's going to run in the non-conscious indefinitely until we put more viruses in it. And that's why I'm so passionate about the kid and the development. What I hear you saying is that there's not a magic bullet. Simple things done savagely well. Uh, yeah. So Process hard. attainment. But I, but confidence. I, but I just, courage. Can I just download that on an app? 
Yeah. Watch yeah, it on yeah, Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Just hack that somehow. <laughs> um, you have done a ton of work around concussions. Yep. What's the latest with kids and youth sports and concussions? And I know it's not limited to just football, which I think is a great football. Myth. Both soccer. We'll put it there. Myth oh, about yeah, concussions. I think a lot of people think it's only football. So just you know, yeah. maybe you could download hmm. what the latest is. Yeah. So um, I come at it from a perspective. I've been the performance director for the NFL Players Association for like 19 years now focus on health and safety and we've learned a lot right we have deals with the top neurosurgeons and all those types of things and listen when we start boiling that all the way back down to youth just have diversity in what you're asking them to do and i mean that from a standpoint if they're only playing one sport and it does involve head contact probably not the healthiest thing but also doing any one sport even if it doesn't have head contact is probably not the healthiest thing so diversity is great probably less exposure Secondly, kids, when they're young and they're formative, their brains are more um, uh, gel-like versus hardened like they are probably more like truly understanding those pathways when they're 16, 18 to 20-some years old. There's, you know, for brain formation, right? That's why we're sponges early on, like literally. And how we program those sponges across agility, balance, coordination, speed is everything because it's just soaking all that good stuff up. And also knowing that kids are meant to be dropped. And kids are meant to have their head hit. And we as physiological beings have this amazing, great resilience to us that our body can self-repair. Yeah, we're not I mean, fragile. No, not at all. And I think where we have to delineate is those things are going to happen. You're going to fall off your bike. Hopefully you're wearing a helmet, but you could still get a concussion. Um, you know, you could do something in gymnastics or if you are doing things in soccer. But if it is a structured environment that you're doing a lot and involves head contact, it's not just the big blows. Right. And so I think big blows, the body's going to recover from it might happen once. Right. I don't know, in a six month period or a you know, six year period, if you're a kid, the body's going to heal, the brain's going to heal just fine. But if it's something where you're getting these sub concussive contacts time and time again, and that starts to add up, like starting to like, right. And I'm playing calcification. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're like, you know, doing 50 or hundred header drills, you know, each practice or three or four or five times a week, that's different. Or in American football that you're contacting the head, um, in an average practice, 250 times, and you're doing it three to five times a week. And in an NFL uh, standpoint, going through mini camp, um, you look at the course of a season, I'm less worried about the structure of competitive, uh, games and there are big hits in these NFL games and that's not youth, but I worry way less about that. All the people are there usually fully recovered unless they're coming out of training camp. Um, high definition focus by everyone on that field at a very, very high level, um, high caliber play and officiating big hits are still going to happen. I worry far less about competition. I worry about 70% of the injuries occurring in, uh, the entire NFL season occurs during the first two and a half weeks of camp where teams control 100% of the variables. And when you come into brain trauma, those repetitive hits hundreds of times per practice, sometimes multiple times per day, which we've tried to get rid of over the course of that two and a half weeks or those six weeks, like you start adding up to five, eight, 10,000 contacts to the head in a year. Those are the types of things we worry more about. And that's what we need to engineer out of youth sport. So the, the occasional thing's going to happen. Do the right things on if the kids are skiing, if the kids are mountain bike riding, if they're going to go out that or if they're doing soccer, you know, you can head with different things. Softness, like just be conscious of it. Try not to do it. Don't freak out if your kid gets a concussion. You probably all had concussions too growing up. 
Oh, I mean, Kelly said that he came back to the huddle in football one time, and his eyes were like pointed this way. And Mul- he said he multiple just, times. He said he was just like pushing his eyelids like this and saying, "Just second, guys. I just gotta get my eyes back in line." And there would, like, you go. go back that explains a lot, actually. Yeah, it explains a lot. But you know, I think that's also the part of just awareness and community. And I think that's a yeah. one big thing we try to do. Um, talking about sport and sport health, which is, hey, listen, if a concussion happens, like, deal, that's a real deal. Don't just blow it off. It's not a, you know, egotistical thing to try to keep going back to the huddle doing it. And we pull from the military in that, that there's a buddy system and they need to be responsible for the buddy. When you're in youth sport, the parents and the coaches need to look for those things. And you just need to be, make sure that it's the awareness. But again, don't create a hyper awareness and paralysis through analysis that you can't let kids go play in this fear of failure and living for failure. Uh, almost goes back to your open versus fixed mindset is like, you know, the helicopter parent like, oh, you watch out for the car, you know, versus yeah. like, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, I mean, just as a follow up, I feel like boys need more contact and, and I should have had more, even more contact. I wish I had been in jujitsu. I wish, you know, I mean, sure. I fortunately had some contact. I played soccer, got plenty of contact there. Sure. You know, as a kid. So yeah, contact both, you know, socially and physically. And I think that's just play. Right. That is just absolute play. Go out there, have a good time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a healthy way as we went to sport earlier. There's some real unhealthy ways to touch and there's healthy ways to touch. Right. And that's just part about understanding what those types of things are. They just think about me doing skiing super G in Germany with no helmet. Oh, my God. 80s. Yeah, we, but we all ski, used to. We never ski with a helmet in the 80s. 80s. No way. I mean, you used to ride in the back of the car without seatbelts, too. Right. <laughs> but your car was about 8000 pounds yeah. and it set seated six across and you weren't going anywhere. You know, you mentioned the military, and that was one area I wanted to ask you about. And I don't have the exact statistic, but Kelly might. But we heard recently from our friend, Dr. Mark Benden, who does a lot of standing desk research. He's out of Texas A&M that some gigantic percentage of 18-year-olds now no longer even qualify for military service because of a variety of things. I think it's drug use and and a variety of things, but I think the biggest one is that they're too fat. Um, So I I know you do a ton of work with the military, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and just sort of an extension from our earlier question about what trends you're seeing in kids. I mean, what are you seeing working with the military? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I just told the story yesterday with some of our thought leaders in that space. And I said, in all the years, like I'm not even that big a sports fan. I'm not like that big a thing. I think the only person I've gotten an autograph from in all my years, I sat next to Colin Powell on a oh. flight. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't talk to him. From him too. And I did not talk to him the entire flight, just gave him space. And then probably about a minute before landing, I said, sir, thank you for everything you've done. And I've never done this before with anybody. And I, in, in this space, and he was familiar with who we were and what we did. I said, but would you sign my Kindle? <laughs> it was awesome. I took the skin off that thing and plastered it. But it is actually one of the things that he brought up as well is we can't get enough qualified people in. And this goes back to the talent identification. It comes back to what sports should be in this country, which is let's get people active. Let's get them out there playing. No, it can be fun. No, I don't have to compete at it. And at the same time, uh, that starts to allow me to just have general physical activity, which now should allow me to go into the armed forces. The armed forces, part of it is now they're doing a pre-prep. You don't just have to go kind of pass to be able to get in. You've like literally now like, hey, I want you to go do this for eight weeks and then come back and talk to me about going in and we'll see if we can get this physical. And then from that, in a military standpoint, we need to be progressive versus like trying to change. Again, we talk about above the neck, their mindset through annihilating what's below the neck and using just physical exercise as character development. At the same time, I always believe in the values and the work ethic and through work ethic and through team and through like pushing yourself to this suck, this grit, 
that is underdeveloped in today's youth is a really powerful thing, but we should be able to do that in like a progressive concept to develop both mm -hmm. character and develop the physical capacities in a clean way. So we also don't ruin those future yeah, people going into eggs, the military. And you know, we look at that in career longevity, career productivity, and that affects all the way into special ops. The second thing that's absolutely really cool though, is we need to think about that physical preparedness to get into the military. Second, going back, tying a couple things together, talent ID for military moving forward may also be as much about being a cognitive athlete and above the neck identification. That's actually where maybe some of this gaming stuff is really good to develop the cognitive capacities for the future of war. And I hate to say that in that way, but like, you know, protecting our borders and that's always going to probably be a part of our society, good or bad. I hope we all get along and sometimes being a force means that you all get along. And I think how we start to identify talent ID for that period, but regardless, it can't be great cognitive fighter pilots or other things that we're doing if they don't have a great below the neck because mindset, nutrition, movement recovery is absolutely necessary for sustainable high performance in any profession um, across the board. You know, I, I think uh, Kennedy started the presidential physical fitness test, right? Mm -hmm. Flexed arm hang we were talking about earlier. That was about preparing youth for war. Sure. That people don't understand. Like you, if you were presidential, like you were like good soldier. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's that's sport <laughs> in general, yeah, right? Yeah, from the beginning of time, sport was developed to be able to keep you know preparedness, and that's where it went all the way back to the Olympic Games. But it should Amazing. be fun. You know, you mentioned earlier about um, setting intentions in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do? In Ooh. what sort of your morning intention setting ritual? Yeah, I mean, I think listen in, in generalities, the first thing. Uh, when I open up those eyes, the first thing I do is it's gratitude. And I think if you talk to a lot, like you guys have really successful people, it's like just giving thanks for all the goodness. And I think in today's society, it's really easy to get fixed on all the things that are wrong versus like, man, I have so much to be grateful for. I think that positioning, that intent for the day of positivity is a really powerful thing. Positivity with grit doesn't mean uh, it all is going to go well, but it won't go well unless you do like the next 10 seconds too, which is what's the intent for my day and, and how do I see it rolling out? We realize that it might only go 50% that way or 60% that way or 12% that way if it's a Monday. But as we start to look at that, like at yeah. least you have intent. And then from there, you actually have a fighting chance to have success today and kind of move toward this vision, these goals. And I think that's one thing that I'm really grateful for that probably got from my parents and just watching how they approach life. And then you start knocking out that process toward the intent and take the chaos on with it and make sure at the end of the day you do the same thing. You know, it won't be a perfect day. We say it's a perfect day for a perfect day when you're starting out. Um, but at the end, like, what are the things that went really, really well? And always be honest with yourself on things that could have gone a little better and, you know, upgrade that and off we go. And that's pretty much the shit sandwich of my day. We, uh, we, we, when we really try I think to about that in the sauna, by the way, right before I cold plunge. Oh, that yeah. does change perspective <laughs> until I get that. We can all relate uh, to that. Show, yeah. We can two, all relate to two that. Two comments. One is that uh, it definitely helps when you roll over and, and Amy's there. That definitely. Yeah. Good, good job, you. Yeah. I'm um, uh, grateful for, uh, for your wife. Second is, um, uh, I don't know about the second piece I was going to talk about. I forgot. Well, this you morning got distracted I by sauna and ice bath. <laughs> yeah. That's always a good thing. I like <laughs> that, though. It's a great way to start. Oh, I must say, we we finish our day, we really try to have dinner with the girls as often awesome. as we can. In fact, yeah. we were even just talking about, Georgia has a water pole from 7 to 8.30, so it forces us to have an early dinner, and we just we you, sit down. You have her eat dinner and then go to water polo? She has to. That's like 
child abuse. <laughs> we eat dinner at like 5.45, though, Mark. 5.45. Okay, so optimal digestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Does she get to eat when she comes home? Because I'd be famished oh, yeah. after Yeah, she that. has a little snack, too. Oh, yeah. Oof. Oh, yeah. yeah you well, you know, she's them... fu- she's fueled. That's a big deal. Because at the end of the day, right? Oh, big time. So, uh, you know, and, and then trying to get her out of that you know, exercise into chilling out time. You know, yeah. usually it's a quick plunge in the in the hot tub just to try to you know, hey, let's take the wheels off. Like, Dad, I'm tired of water. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of it's water. Her idea. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that we do is we always do, um, you know, what are you grateful for, or or what's the best part of your day, highs and lows, mm-hmm. and what would you do over? Yeah. And I think that you you can build in these mindset pieces, and, and we don't. You know, I was a Boy Scout. Um, I had I had some good coaches and and where I was meta aware of the, some of these processes. Yeah. What I hear for parents, if you want to take this to your kid, is say, hey, you know, what are you looking forward to today? Yeah, you know, it really does start in these little Simple things. habits. And at the end of the day, for us, what would you do over? Yeah, you know, I think what was your think, favorite thing that happened today? Yeah, and what what would you re- what would you redo? I like Caroline's like sometimes she's like I would have got that girl out in Foursquare. And I'm like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> no, no, I got it. <laughs> I would have crushed her if I had a chance. <laughs> Man, um, you know, you, uh, your company, Exos, your books, they have done a lot to just improve the conversation. What are you working on? What are you excited about? What's next? I mean, because, I mean, the empire is growing, and I really, I appreciate that you were saying, hey, look, we've got a, We've got to support our thinkers. Well, you yeah. guys are in Google. You're you're running the health of Facebook. You're really trying to have this mature adult conversation about taking care of yourself psychoemotionally, physically, with average people now. Mm-hmm. Where where are you going? Yeah, I mean, I could answer that in a lot of ways. I think number one, as you said, the quality of our overall community. You know, I think we were laughing earlier that Amy, you know, had a coin. What held this space back for so long was just too egotistical. Right. Too many people trying to take credit Ashton. for other success. And, um, you know, we're all here to serve. I think our community is healthier and it's more collaborative and it's tearing down walls between, you know, what we've always been passionate about, which is movement quality. And that meant physical therapists and athletic trainers and all performance, strength, conditioning. Like everybody's responsible for movement, movement quality. I think it's nutrition. Also understanding that overall big play, uh, both in health and performance understanding the power of what we do and how it drives and shapes um, people, right? Like influencing people is, I think, a really powerful thing that people are getting to understand and the driving cognition and that recovery is the limiting factor to performance. Those are the conversations we're having which are real to population health. Secondly, I think from an exo-specific thing is we're starting to get enough scale um, globally and all the companies we operate with, we're in, I don't know, over 150 corporate clients and over 400 doors, plus or minus there. And essentially, I always look at that as influencing the influencers. We have amazing clients, true thought leaders in healthcare, true thought leaders in engagement, technology, like all these different things, and these worlds are converging together. And the people that we're interacting with every day also sharing about this mindset, nutrition, movement recovery that are benefiting it themselves as kind of the employee, as the person living inside the body, how they're showing up every day and how they're relating with their family and how they're affecting the family unit. Like to me, it's in time, there's just becomes a tipping point to we're going to get out of this reactive care to proactive health through performances, which we've been pounding the rock on now for almost 20 years. And I think people understanding the power of that for quality of life. And also if we want to fix quote unquote reactive healthcare, I don't think it's really broken. I think the way that we view proactive health through performance and health is broken because we rely on reactive medical care to try to give us the guidance. 
if we just take care of the 70% by doing the simple things across mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery, starting with our kids and getting the healthy habits, then all of a sudden we free act reactive healthcare to do what it's supposed to do, which is we're all going to face a, some healthcare thing in our life and we're going to need the best of the best, but I don't want it clogged with 70% of people who are having poor lifestyle choices. I want it focused on, all right, now I need your help to help me with cancer, help me with this or help me with that because we've got the other stuff taken care of and they're also leading a higher quality of life. So that's why I get, I get passionate about that, but we've also got a great- Come out, win the next World Cup. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. It's that's okay. a whole separate you can have You can have double bottom lines. Hey, it's, okay. Yeah. it's okay. No, we, every time, this is where we're, every day is game day for us. And every one of our clients is an N of one and everybody within those clients is an N of one. So we can talk about a big corporate, but we're talking about each person that makes up those lives. And I'll tell you, every life matters and how our impact on culture matters. And we talk about DFB all the way down to a singular individual to be able to create enough um compensatory communication patterns and uh, poor culture uh, can unravel an entire team. And that could be the, the takeout is that uh, you can change your culture at home. Oh, for know? sure. Absolutely. Just start there, right? And yeah. most important. So I would like a double espresso cappuccino in the morning, Juliet. Instead of just a single? Yes, okay, right. perfect. And Deal. what if Caroline and Georgia get that as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, Dad, all right, let's do this. I'm going to dominate Foursquare today. Let's take that. I'll study on one hand, I'll play on the other hand. Got you. I'm not worried uh, about those girls. Mark, yeah. it is so nice to talk to you. Where can our listeners find you out in the world? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. We'll have to hashtag <laughs> slash uh, unicorn that unicorn. later. But everything's at Team Exos, www.teamexos.com, or we've got all the – oh, we've got all the data. Lisa's all the got social it. medias. Yeah, we've got the social medias. We're good. Thank you guys for all that you do, and I think um, I draw absolute inspiration at many levels, both as individual uh, performers and then what you two have come together as a team and the family unit and then what you've done with everything that's far greater than just the Sarah family. It is about what you've done with stand-up. Like it is, it gives me chills to think that when I talk about a community upgrading lives, like this is where it starts. So thank you for all you've done and absolutely honored to be a part of uh, your vision. Thank you so well, thank much. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate you. Man. We are huge fans of you, so it, it means a lot. Done, done, done. Thank you. Mutual. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of mobilitywad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under MobilityWOD. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Till next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is the co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and MobilityWOD, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it!